It's not every day, is it, that you, you come across a, a naked, demon-possessed man in a cemetery, is it? It doesn't happen every day. That's what's happening in our story today. There is a naked, demon-possessed man living in, in a cemetery. That is the setting for today's story from Luke chapter 8. If you've got it in front of you, you might want to open up. I, uh, I do, in fact, spend a little bit of time in cemeteries these days. I've uh, spent a fair bit of time wandering around uh, Waverley Cemetery just here. Uh, I'm reliably informed by my elders that we have some, uh, some of our clan buried in Waverley Cemetery. So um, I'm reliably informed that some of the Chapman clan uh, are in there somewhere. So I made it my task to go find the relatives in Waverley Cemetery. Um, but I spend uh, some nights there wandering through there with my trusty border collie cross kelpie banjo because my sons train at Clavelli uh, and rather than make two trips up and back I just get the, do- get the dog and banjo and I get a bit of exercise and well Waverley Cemetery is right there so I'm regularly wandering through uh, the cemetery there in the middle of the night and it did strike me on one occasion I did just pause and look around and thought some people might consider this to be a rather spooky place. It's pitch black, and row upon you've been row upon row of graves, and I thought some people might consider this spooky or a little bit scary, but I actually thought I'm actually genuinely not scared at all because I have Jesus with me, Amen, and I need not fear. Plus, I've got uh, my trusty border collie by my side to take on any earthly foe, and I thought to myself, a border collie and Jesus. What more does a man need, Amen? Can I get a witness? Can I get an Amen to that? <laughs> and a good wife, that helps as well. Thank you for helping me out there, brother. Thank you. I appreciate solidarity. Solidarity. <laughs> but that is indeed the situation that Jesus is confronted with. This is our setting for today. Okay, there is, is a man in tremendous need, a man that has been uh, enslaved and, and, and he's, he's shunned from his society. He's, he's not living in the midst of his society. Jesus seems to be attracted to these people, doesn't he? He seems to be attracted to these people. Uh, who, who other people uh, shy away from. They're not comfortable to be around. People in need of some sort of liberation, some sort of healing, some sort of peace. These are the people that Jesus over and over seems to be drawn to. Well, he's crossed over to the other side of the lake uh, to liberate uh, this man this morning. So we're going to be reading uh, from, from Luke chapter 8. So if you've got it open in front of you, you might want to follow along. It's Luke chapter 8 verses 26 through to 39. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tomb. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chain and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. 
And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the men went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Loving Lord, capture our minds, capture our hearts in this moment. Amen. It's important to know the context of this passage. Like in any uh, Bible passage, it is important to realize the context uh, here in, in, in this passage. Uh, Jesus is crossing over. He's crossing over to the other side of the lake. But he's crossing more than just a physical boundary. He's crossing more than just a geographic boundary here. Jesus is crossing a social boundary. He's crossing a religious boundary. He's going to the wrong side of the tracks. He's going, effectively, to, to an, another, another nation, to those, those dirty foreigners, right? The Jewish people have long sort of looked down on, on other nations. It's part of the reason why there's been such terrible anti-Semitism down through the years. The Jews sort of knew that they were special, and, and they did tend to look down on the other nations around them. He, he, Jesus is crossing over into foreign territory, into the Shadowlands, to the other side of the, the religious tracks. Now, I know here in the eastern suburbs, we love a bit of talk about real estate, don't we? I had a, uh, an interesting conversation with my brother-in-law this week about, about being on the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, we had a family dinner, and my brother-in-law just lives just here at Bellevue Hill. And he said to me, here's what he said, he said, he said well, you know, you, you, live, you live in Maroubra. You're not really in the eastern suburbs, are you? Right, well, that's how it's going to be, is it? There you go. Well, there you go, see? There you go, right. That's how it is here in the eastern suburbs, isn't it? These, this postcode sort of snobbery. So it's all, we're all used to that sort of good-natured ribbing and bantering, but, but this, is, this is something different. This is something really different. Jesus is in a place, not just going to another football team's territory. He, he's, he's really going into a, into a place of darkness where no good Jewish boy would ever really want to have to set foot. See, Jesus is getting down and dirty with someone that desperately needs his help. Everything about this scene is not kosher. Everything, think it through. He's crossed the other side of the lake, the tombs, dead bodies, unclean. The pigs, 
unclean animal, the demons themselves, evil spirits, the very land that he's standing on, everything about this scene uh, would be red flags for a good Jewish boy like Jesus. Yet Jesus goes and brings peace to this man nonetheless. He's going to bring peace in the, in the midst of the storm of this man's life. Have a look at the context if you've got it open in front of you. This, again, Luke places it in context of Jesus bringing peace and healing and liberation. Jesus had just stepped onto the other side of the lake from the time when he actually calmed the storm. He's just crossed the lake when Jesus is famously commanded the wind and the waves to be still. That's how he got there. So that has just occurred. The disciples are left wondering, who is this man? And now they're on the wrong side of the lake, and he's about to calm the storms of this poor demon-possessed man. If you have a look at the story just after this, by the way, he actually, again, he's in the midst of calming a storm for, for Jairus, a synagogue ruler. His daughter is sick and, in fact, dies before Jesus can get to her. And Jesus calms the storm even of death. And if you know the story, even on the way, he heals a woman that's been subject to bleeding. Again, think unclean. Uh, she just reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. It doesn't matter the storm. Jesus is in the business of bringing peace and calm and liberation and healing. One of the early church fathers, a fellow by the name of Tertullian, called Jesus the exterminator of spiritual foes. Isn't that good? The exterminator of spiritual foes. And this man's foes are many. This man's foes are, are legion, aren't they? His life has been taken over by these unclean spirits. Uh, he, he, it's made normal life impossible for him, having a social life impossible for him. He's cut off from his community. He's, he's living naked uh, among the tombs. Uh, if ever there was a dead man walking, this is, is him. He's a wild thing who breaks the physical chains that they tried to shackle him with, which gives us a bit of a clue to the nature of evil, I think. The first little sort of takeaway here is that evil promises one thing but delivers another. Evil promises power but actually enslaves. So he's, that his countrymen have tried to bind him with chains, and so it seems as though these spirits have given him some sort of supernatural, superhuman sort of power, and he's, and he's broken the chains that are placed uh, upon him. We don't know whether he actually sought out this superhuman strength and, and unfortunately was sucked into the lie of Satan who promises great power, but in actual fact, simply enslaves. So that's the first little thing to be careful about the nature of evil. Don't underestimate it. Uh, any student of military history will tell you that to underestimate your enemy is to invite defeat, to court defeat. Uh, evil enslaves. It hides the grace of God. It offers one thing but gives you another. It's a terrible bait and switch. It tells you you can't be both happy and holy. The devil will try to tell you, yes, well, you can be happy, but you need to jettison the things of God. You can stick with God if you like, but you're going to be miserable. It's a lie. It is a lie. Jesus uh, asked the man, uh, asked the demon what his name was. In the ancient world, to, to know someone's name was to have some level of, of authority over, over someone. And I think that rings true still today. I know myself many a time when I want to find out about someone, and you sort of say, What's that? who is that man? Who, who is that person? Who is that woman? 
and then you go home and Google them and to find out a little bit more. Uh, ministers stalk their parishioners, so look out online. <laughs> to know someone's name was to have power over them. And of course, then comes this, this terrifying, this, this chilling response. Uh, my name is Legion, for I am many. Again, put yourself in the context of a people who are under Roman rule. This word legion is significant, is it not? A Roman legion was the largest of all the Roman military units. A Roman legion was an insurmountable opposition foe. It was uh, insurmountable strength. Unyielding opposition, a Roman legion. A Roman legion contained anywhere between three to 6,000 men. Think about that. I'm legion. I'm many. Tremendous opposition has been residing in this man. Note, however, that in a moment of incredible honesty and in a moment of incredible lucidity from from this man or from the demons that are possessing him, it, it correctly identifies Jesus for who he is. Son of the Most High God comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet and begs Jesus not to, not to torture them, which is ironic given that they've actually been torturing this poor man for God only knows how long, but we suspect it probably would have been quite some time. They beg uh, Jesus not to, not, to, not to torture them, and he identifies, this man identifies who Jesus truly is. Again, think about the context. They've just got out of the boat, and Jesus' closest followers are asking, who is this man? Well, the demon knows. The demon correctly identifies Jesus. Think, too, of a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember the story of Paul and Silas in Philippi and the young slave girl that was following Paul and Silas around, calling out son, servants of the Most High God? It seems as though the, the demons are, are all too eager, all too happy to advertise who Jesus uh, truly is. So that's an interesting little juxtaposition there in the story. Uh, Jesus, indeed liberates the man. We all know the story. He liberates uh, the man. Uh, The demons uh, come out of this poor man into a large herd of pigs. We're told, remember, think pigs, unclean animals. They rush down a steep embankment into the lake and, and, uh, and are drowned. This man is freed. This man is free to join the ranks of humanity once again. Uh, But there is more to this story than simply this man's healing. There's a part of this story that I think we often miss. And that is the aftermath of this healing, the aftermath of this liberation. Look at the reaction of his fellow countrymen here. Now, this is really, really telling. Um, You would think that they would be happy, wouldn't you? You would think that they would be thankful to Jesus for liberating their fellow countrymen, but they're not thankful at all. In fact, far from it. Uh, Christian author Fred Craddock writes this about uh, this people's, these people his day. He said, the Gerasene people are not praising God that this man has been healed. They are counting the cost and find it too much. They are counting the cost and find it too much. We see here that there are costs associated with this healing. This man is now clothed. He's found clothed and in his right mind, and sitting at Jesus' feet. He's now a learner. He's now taking the position of a disciple of Jesus. And this freaks 
the people of that region, this region out. What is good news for this man is in fact bad news for some others. It's certainly bad news for those pigs that day, wasn't it? But think also of the pig's owner. This is a time when most people lived hand to mouth. This is a time when if you owned one animal, one beast, it made you relatively well off. So a large herd of pigs would have been a devastating financial loss for the owner of this herd. Probably also would have had an impact on the surrounding region as well. So these people are none too happy about what Jesus has done here. The demons enter the pigs and kill them. That's what demons do. They, 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 they kill. See, there's a lot of money to be made these days, still today, in keeping people enslaved, isn't there? Keeping people oppressed, keeping people uh, addicted, of course. Our mind goes to illegal drugs, to illicit drugs, of course, and the money that is to be made there. But I think it goes far deeper than that, doesn't it? It goes to, to alcohol or to tobacco um, as, a, as a member of the sort of the Aussie clan. Part of my culture that I really find disdainful is, 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 is the alcohol, the way alcohol is elevated uh, in, our, in our community. As a, as a parent of four teenagers, I've got four teenagers, pray for me, in my house at the moment. <laughs> for the next week or so, I've got four teenagers living in the house. And, and teenagers started, they start getting invites to parties. This is school kids with BYO alcohol on it. I mean, this, this stuff is, is part, of, part of our culture. Think of, the, think of the tobacco industry today that profits from pe keeping people in, enslaved. Uh, and it's not just the, the pharmaceutical world. I mean, I, I, I did manage to kick the sugar habit a few years ago, but even that is sugar's addictive. That little, that white stuff's no good for you. And I managed to drag it out of great personal cost. Nothing, of course, to some people. But I managed to kick the habit. But many other people really, really struggle with all sorts of different types of addictions. Gambling is a terrible addiction, isn't it? And it brings devastation to many families in this land. And in fact, let's, let's be honest, our own government benefits from it. State governments in this country draw on gaming revenue. I know uh, Wesley Mission and Stu Cameron are a real crusade about this at, at the moment, is the extent to which our own government is, a, is addicted to, to gaming revenue. And of course, in the last few years, we've witnessed the rise of, of a, another type of really sort of demonic oppression and, 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 and really macabre strangle taking hold of our young people in the form of, of the trans movement. Young people in record numbers, far higher than any historical numbers. We've seen a huge spike, in particularly our, our young girls, um, wanting to feel as though that they are trapped in the wrong body and, 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 and embark on really surgery that is, that is really mutilating their bodies. It, it's, really, it's really quite sad. All the time, all the while, cheered on by some pretty powerful forces in our society. Uh, you'll find not just old school media, the legacy media that's dying out, couldn't happen to a nicer bunch of people, but even the new media on the streaming services, uh, certainly in, um, in, in some, of the, the, some of the corporates and even our own education system and, and, and our own government pumping out this propaganda that actually really in, enslaves. There's much point scoring and much money to be made in keeping people sick and 
and addicted. And this is an example of it here in our story today. Think also of Paul and Silas from a few weeks ago. The people of Philippi were none too happy that this slave girl was liberated from the demon that they were using to tell fortune and thereby to make their own fortunes on the back of this girl. Paul and Silas cast the demon out and were thrown into jail for their, for their trouble. We have to expect some opposition to our ministry when we're seeking to set people free in Jesus' name. There's going to be vested interests in keeping the status quo. Jesus' presence here was costly for these people, and they were scared. Luke mentions fear twice. Have a look at the text. The fear is sort of like a two-stage fear. It's a fear of the initial sort of reaction. Word spreads, and then we read again that they were overcome with fear. Again, we seem to be sort of seeing here a, a link between the oppression that this man was undergoing and the oppression of fear fear that was now covered the entire community. It seems not only was this man possessed, but this entire community became possessed uh, by, by fear. They were seized with fear or over, overcome with fear. Wherever sickness is the norm, a healing will be seen as, as dangerous. There's a, there's a wonderful quote uh, attributed to George Earl Orwell, probably not George Earl Orwell, but it is a good quote. Uh, it says, uh, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. These people were not afraid of the storm. They were afraid of the calm. They saw this man sitting there in his right mind, and they were, they were afraid. And in fact, they asked him to leave. They say, get out of here. We don't, we don't want you here. There's a Christian author by the name of Dawn Tony Wilhelm, and she writes on this, on this episode, she says, it was easier to accept the presence of a crazy person among them, a crazy person outside the boundaries of town, than a healed man who will walk among them, confronting them with the reality of God's transforming power in their midst. It was easier to accept a crazy person out there than a sane person in their midst confronting them with their own need. This healing was abnormal. It was a change, and change is often scary. We human beings don't like change. I have to confess, I'm one of those people. I like things to be in order, in their place. I don't like it when things aren't where they're supposed to be. And I'm sure there's plenty of you who are like that as well. Change can be scary. It's often easy just to pretend like we have things all together rather than trying to actually seek healing to what ails us. Healing will change us. Healing will mean that things are going to be, going to be different. Quite often people will find it easier just to sit in their brokenness or in fact thrive on it. Some people love it, don't they? Uh, the medical community knows all about this. Uh, you often hear doctors talking about uh, people having a severe case of hypochondria. Some people are comfortable. They're happy just to sit in their sickness rather than, than seek healing. But when Jesus comes and touches you, when Jesus comes and brings healing, he, he changes you. He changes you for the better. He loves you so much to not leave you the way that you are. The other thing that I really want you to notice about this event is what became of the man. This other little postscript to this story. He's freed, the demons come out of him, into the pigs, they rush down the hill and they drown, 
And we sort of think that's the end of the story. That's the spectacular part of the story. But there's another little postscript uh, to this story as well that I want you to see. See what became of the man. At first, of course, he, he, he sits at Jesus' feet. He becomes a learner, a, a disciple of, of Jesus. And he wants to, to come with Jesus. Uh, he, he's changed. He is, he is transformed. It seems as though his healing was actually costly for him as well. He is transformed. He is he is made new, and in fact, he wants to follow Jesus. But Jesus actually says no. Jesus does indeed move on, and he wants to follow Jesus. But Jesus, hang on for a second, buddy. I've got something different planned for you. I've got, I've got a different calling for you. He says to go and to tell his own people about the extent of, of God's love. He's called to be a, a home missionary, as it, as it were. He's now freed, and he's released to go and preach among the living. So he's handed his life back by Jesus. But in another sense, think he actually loses it again, doesn't he? He's handed back his life, but then he willingly surrenders it again to Jesus. He lays down his life and seeks to be Jesus' follower. And Jesus commissions him, commands him to go and to preach about all that God, all that God has, has done for him. It reminds me of another wonderful quote. All, all Christians should be familiar with this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, if you're not familiar with who Bonhoeffer is, uh, go and look him up. He's uh, a person, a, a Lutheran pastor who, who resisted uh, Hitler's Third Reich and ended up paying for it with his life just before the end of the Second World War. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. When Christ calls somebody, he calls them to come and to die. You yield your life. You give it up to Christ. You surrender your life. At baptism, you surrender your life. You lay down your life only to be raised back to new life in Christ. When God is in our midst, we shouldn't expect things to stay the same. We should expect to be changed, made new, challenged. And it might well be quite costly for us. Things might well change. God is the creator. He's a creative spirit. And it's in his nature to be creating something new in you and in our midst and, and in our society. But can I leave you with a final little challenge as well to think that, yes, it was costly for that people. It was costly for this man. But remember, it was costly for Jesus too, wasn't it? Jesus came and he paid with his own life to set you free to set you free from sin and death. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. He came to earth. God broke into human history. He lived as one of us. He grew and he lived and he died for us in order that we might live, in order that we might be truly set free. So can I encourage you to be looking to Jesus Christ as your ultimate example of what it means to bring liberation and peace. It could well cost you. It probably isn't going to cost you your life here in Australia in 2022, but in other parts of the world it certainly might. This is a challenge for us sitting here in the beautiful eastern suburbs, whether we're in Roosters Territory or Rabbitohs Territory, regardless of your postcode, regardless of which side of the tracks you live here in Australia, the lucky country. Let's be very thankful that we are free to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ to share the life that he brings, the abundant resurrection life that he came to bring in this life and in the next 
setting us free from all that entangles, from all that ensnares, from all that holds us captive. Amen? Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you that Jesus brings healing. We want to say thank you that he liberates. We thank you that you free us from the chains that bind us. Thank you so much, Lord. Lord, we pray that we might be aware of the ways in which we are bound. You might make us aware of the ways that we are shackled, Father. We confess to you that there are times when we don't even recognize it. There are times when we become comfortable with our chains, that we fear change, Lord. We are fearful of what you might achieve in our life, what you might ask us to do and who you might call us to be. Father, we repent of those times and we grow comfortable in our sin, comfortable in our brokenness. Father, help us to see that when you call us, you bid us to come and die. We freely yield our life again this morning, Father. Many of us here have indeed surrendered to the waters of baptism, Lord. But we again here this morning confess that we wish to die to ourselves, die to our own agendas, die to our own egos, and to live for you this week, Lord, serving you where we are. We claim this command, this commission given to this man, Father, who's newly liberated, to go and to tell of all that God has done for him among his own people, among his own tribe. Father, use us here at Church in the Marketplace to be proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to our city and to our land and thereby bring healing and wholeness and peace to this city, to this land and to this world. And all the people said, Amen. Amen.